0: On this episode of Unmet Need, Michael Reagan from Morgan Stanley interviews me to learn about my background, but more specifically the Providence Medical Technology founding story. We discuss how the company was developed, and specifically the unmet need of the high-risk cervical patient. This was part of the 2021 Morgan Stanley Investor Conference that just took place last week. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hi, this is Michael Reagan on the healthcare team at Morgan Stanley. With me today is Jeff Smith. Jeff is co-founder and chief executive officer of Providence Medical Technology, an innovative privately held company focused on the spine sector. So, Jeff, to to kick this off, tell us about your background and what you did before founding Providence Medical and what led you to co-found the company.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Michael. And I first want to say thank you to you and the Morgan Stanley team for the opportunity to present. So before Providence, I grew up on the East Coast. I studied at Brown University and initially was pursuing a career in finance and worked at Prudential Asia and then got the entrepreneurial bug. And in 1999, founded an internet company doing e-commerce. And that's what brought me to the San Francisco Bay Area. After doing that company for about two years, um, I got into healthcare, and so it was a great experience because I had the opportunity to raise money, form a company, uh, build a small team, and you know ultimately we were a little early for selling extreme sporting goods online, but it was a valuable experience. And so when I got into healthcare, I had a brief stint working at AstraZeneca doing sales in their cardiovascular division, and then within a year was recruited to work at Cardinal Health and it was a specific division called special procedures which landed me in the radiology suite and really kicked off my experience in the spine space. And so Cardinal was very early in the vertebroplasty, kyphoplasty market, and after a year, Cardinal was recruited to Kyphon, and Kyphon really became a formative experience for me. I was there four years, had four different jobs in sales, sales management, uh, operations, and it was at Kyfon where I met a lot of the people that helped me, me build Providence, uh, especially um, Providence Medical Technologies chairman since 2008, and my m- mentor, Art Taylor. And Art was the chief operating officer at Kaifon. And the last year I was at Kaifon, it was a very active year for the business. There were three acquisitions done. Um, the first one being a, a small diagnostic product that I, I led the build of a national sales team for that. And then uh, there's another company uh, that had uh, special bone cement that we acquired. And then ultimately the big deal that was sort of the end of my run at, at, at uh, Kyfon was St. Francis Medical Technologies. And so when Medtronic acquired Kyfon, uh, it was a perfect time to reevaluate what I wanted to do next. I would started a another business in in Asia uh, during my run at Kyfon. And it it felt like the right time to take a risk. And I had met, as a sales representative at Kyfon, I had met a neurosurgeon in San Francisco who had also went to Brown named Bruce McCormick. And Dr. McCormick approached me with this idea, and that was in 2008. And then we founded the company. And the whole idea was Dr. McCormick, as a neurosurgeon, had done – to spine fellowships most of his practice uh, in private practice in san francisco was you know treating the classic degenerative spine just age-related disorders and most of the pathology in the neck was well served by existing technologies specifically the anterior fusion it's one of the best operations in spine great outcomes surgeons are comfortable with it but what dr mccormick was telling me is that you know every segment in the spine has three major joints. Uh, the one that gets most of the attention is the disc. However, uh, no, that 's in the front of the neck or the anterior position, but in the posterior spine, there's two facet joints on either side of the, the spinal cord, and those joints play an important role in facilitating all the different degrees of motion. and so his original idea that he approached me with is that if you could distract these joints, really just with the purpose of stabilizing them. He said you could achieve likely as good or possibly better stabilization by stopping these two joints from moving, by putting them in slight tension, and then actually in doing so, um, you you just separate the, the bones that can often encroach on the nerves that exit from the spinal cord. You might even have the ability to improve symptoms. So that was our jumping off point. And what happened next is we, it was 2008, it was right before the, you know, the kind of financial crisis, and we reached out to people in the industry. And Art Taylor was the first check-in. He helped us get ready and kind of know know what steps to take. And was really an incredible mentor and continues to be. And then we just reached out to our network. You know, we raised about a million dollars of capital and
1: uh, got to work building our first product. That's great, Jeff. That's a great segue. What's the clinical problem that Providence is is hoping to solve? So just more specifically, there's a great backdrop on the foundation and genesis of the company, but walk us through what you're trying to solve and, and tell us a little bit more about these patients and what their risk factors are. Yeah, sure.
0: I'll, so I'll start with the patient. When patients have cervical stenosis, what's happening is something is pinching the neural elements in their neck. And so It's either their spinal cord, so that would be the central stenosis, or it can be the nerve roots that exit off the spinal cord. And in cervical stenosis, it's more often than not the the exiting nerve roots. And so what happens is eventually, you know, as the disc degenerates, they start developing numbness and some tingling in their hands. And depending on which nerve root is being pinched, it could, you know, the, the pain could refer down to their shoulder all the way down to their fingers. And so, what starts as a sort of a numb, uncomfortable burning sensation, as the stenosis progresses, you start to see uh, loss of grip strength. Sometimes you, you, you kind of can't even feel anything in your hands. You have musculature wasting in the bicep and forearm. And so, it becomes a debilitating set of symptoms. And so, the, the disease is called cervical radiculopathy. The pathology is cervical stenosis. And so this is a very common problem. There's about 350,000 surgeries in the United States a year that are attempting to address these symptoms caused by stenosis. What Providence is focused on is the hardest to treat segment of that market. And the the folks that we're trying to help are people that fall under the high-risk cervical group. And so there's about 80,000 of them. And in many ways, they're the last segment of the patient population that is not well served by existing technology. And so our focus there is, you know, we want to be the standard of care for the high-risk cervical patient.
1: Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So as you... So you kind of think about, and physicians think about these patients, what's the range of failure rates that they would typically see during fusion surgery in this high-risk category? Like, what's, what's out there in the clinical literature?
0: In the literature, it's about as much as a 50% failure rate. And so to give some more context to that, when your problem or the pathology is pinched nerves, the surgery, the way you address the symptoms is to decompress the nerve. And so, these surgeries, while the intended outcome is a fusion, the first step is to decompress the neural elements. And so, most patients, after surgery, because the surgeon has, has freed up that nerve through a decompression, and that's comprised of either removing disc material or, or some bone that has grown into the, neural, into the foramen or the canal. So, the decompression is what gives the patient the immediate relief of symptoms. But the reason these these surgeries are called fusions is the durability of that benefit is going to be determined by does the segment heal? And do the bones fuse and grow together? Because in the absence of fusion, the symptoms will recur. And so the, the real goal of a fusion surgery is to achieve solid arthrodesis, and so for the majority of patients that get an anterior fusion, the fusion rates are well into the 90%. It, it's a very successful operation, and and so this group of high-risk cervical patients that we're focused on, they're the ones that, you know, despite you know wonderful outcomes for a lot of the patients, these patients, it's anywhere from a 30 to 50% non-union rate, and and how that presents. In, to the surgeon and what it's like for the patient is they have a surgery. You can imagine having a neck surgery, going under anesthesia, you know, have the surgery. You wake up, you feel better. Your symptoms have improved. You're back to your life. And then it's usually between 6 to 12 months, all of a sudden the patient's symptoms come back. And, and so that failure of a fusion is what causes the symptoms to return and then the consequence for the patient is they have to have a revision surgery. And, and, and that's, you know, it's really difficult. It's very expensive. And the second surgery carries additional risk. And so, you know, for us, we, we believe the, the, the solution for the high-risk cervical patients, and again, this is about 80,000 Americans a year over, you know, a denominator of 350,000. So it's, it's a segment of the market, but it's about 25%. And so the way that you help these patients is the same decompression that a traditional cervical fusion would entail, but because these patients have risk factors that makes it harder for their body to heal and, and have that bone growth through the fused segment, they need additional stabilization. And so that's the, the approach that Providence is, is bringing to these patients is that we've, we've developed a very elegant way to achieve What's called a circumferential cervical fusion, where for the high-risk folks that need a very stable construct, we've developed a way to do the posterior part of the surgery in a way that doesn't carry the morbidity and, and, frankly, a lot of pain associated with the traditional approach.
1: Yeah, so clearly a high unmet need. Um, so I think it, it's a great segue for why don't you describe the the implant and the procedure that you've developed in a little more detail? Maybe also just talk on who the who the key surgeons are. Obviously in spine, there's the neurosurgeon and the orthopedic spine surgeon. You know, is there one specialty that treats these these specific high risk uh, cases and and sort of where these procedures are done? Are they in the inpatient setting, the ASCs, or both? Um, that would be really helpful, I think, to understand. Of course.
0: So for context, there's about 7,500 orthopedic and neurospine surgeons in the United States. That number probably changes. I know this audience, you know, is well versed on the spine, but cervical fusion, uh, specifically an anterior fusion, you know, maybe 25, 30 years ago, there would be a neurosurgeon that would do the decompression and then the orthopedist would come in for the implants and instrumentation, you know, today in the united states and really throughout the world orthopedic and neurosurgeons that focus on spine they do all the different surgeries and there's just been great training so all the spine surgeons in the united states can perform a circumferential cervical fusion Uh, it's worth noting that cervical fusions are, are performed exclusively by orthopedic and neurosurgeons so as i mentioned earlier where my career started in the interventional space um, they have exquisite skills and they do a number of really interesting procedures, but cervical fusion is a surgeon's operation, uh, orthopedic and neurosurgeon that is. And cervical fusion is often performed in an ambulatory surgery setting, and so the you know the very common operation. People refer to it as an ACDF. These are you know routinely performed in a surgery center in an outpatient setting. When you get to the posterior part of the surgery, that's almost done exclusively in the hospital in an inpatient setting. Now, for the subset of patients that we're focused on, these high-risk patients, they have these risk factors that it you know include diabetes, osteoporosis, they have multi-level disease. And so while many cervical fusions are certainly appropriate in the ASC, you know, well over ninety-five percent of the cases our surgeons perform are in the hospital in the inpatient setting. So you have, the surgeries are performed by orthopedic and neurospine surgeons, predominantly in the inpatient setting in the hospital. And the reason that is the case is anterior cervical fusion, it's a wonderful approach. And it's almost the same approach as the cervical disc arthroplasty devices. Coming through the front of the neck, They remove the disc that has degenerated and is really often causing the problems. It's basically collapsed and started to encroach on the nerves. Now, that is well-suited for the ASC, and what the anterior fusion allows the surgeon to do is not only decompress the symptomatic nerve root or the cord, but then the surgeon can stabilize through an anterior implant. And there's about 100 companies that make a plate for an anterior fusion, there's some very novel implants where the inner body cage has integrated fixation. And as I mentioned, you know, for the majority of the market, that anterior fusion alone works great. But really for the last 10 years, the North American Spine Society has recommended to its members after a, a review of clinical literature that when you start to get into the high-risk patient, and, and I want to be clear, it's, it's a high risk for a non-union or a pseudoarthrosis. For the patient, And, and the number one risk factor is three or more levels. And so what NAS recommends to its members is if you're going to do a three-level anterior fusion, it's a very good chance because of this 50% failure rate that you're going to need additional stabilization because you're asking the body to fuse three levels. And these are patients that, you know, they could have diabetes, osteoporosis, advanced age. And so they already have, you know, physiological drawbacks to, you know, inhibit, you know, good bone fusion. And so the solution and the data is really clear is after you do your anterior operation, you should then put the patient prone and then stabilize from the back, and so if you look at the literature for circumferential cervical fusion, even in a three-level patient, the fusion rates are in the 90 percentile range, so it makes a ton of sense, it just has to be very rigid, but despite the the data, it's actually performed, circumferential is performed less than 3% on the patients that would benefit from it, and that really brings us to the problem that Providence is solving is that the anterior approach, if you feel the front of your neck, there's not a lot of muscle. It's very easy to access the spine anatomy. However, in the back of the neck, there's six layers of muscles, and they're going in different directions, and then they they attach to the bones. And so in the traditional posterior cervical fusion technique, in order to access the spine and, and do the surgery, the surgeon had to do and uh, make an incision, a skin incision of about, you know, four to six inches. Sometimes it can be a little smaller, but the incision's really not the problem. And when I say the problem, it's not what the, causes the patient to have so much pain. It's the violation of those six layers of muscles and the stripping of the muscle off of the bone that in order to even get there, the surgeon has to cause all this soft tissue damage And, you know, one of the sayings that I hear repeatedly is with posterior cervical fusion, how it was done historically, the the cure is worse than the disease. And the patients complain of so much pain that the surgeon would typically take the risk of a 50% nonunion to avoid that kind of pain. so when we look at this problem, we say that the solution is well understood. It's confirmed by the literature do circumferential stabilization the problem is how do you get the stabilization without all this collateral damage and you know sadly all this patient pain and so that's why we developed the Chorus spinal system and Chorus is indicated to perform posterior cervical fusion and it's a single use sterile package kit that has every instrument that you would need for every step in a traditional posterior cervical fusion the difference is scale. We've shrunk this down by an order of magnitude where the largest instrument is the size of a dime. And so what happens is the surgeon can access the posterior anatomy, decorticate the lateral masses, that's gonna kind of initiate that bone healing response. They can get into the joints and remove the synovial capsule. And then what we've developed which is the posterior cervical stabilization system, which is comprised of a cage and superior and inferior screw fixation, is a way to, through a titanium non-segmental construct, go into the facet joints. There's two two joints on either side of the spinal cord. After we've decorticated it and rasped, we put in a titanium implant that just distracts the, the... to set joint to its pre-degenerative state, but what that does is it stops those joints from translating forwards and backwards and side to side laterally, and so we're able to deliver the implants through this very small tube, and so the whole surgery of access, decortication, rasping, burring, laying of bone graft, all the you know the, the steps of a traditional posterior cervical fusion. We can do that through this very small exposure and access, and then through that same tube, we can deliver powerful facet fixation and so when when we do this surgery, the posterior cervical fusion, you get a very rigid construct, and the fusion rates in even the hardest to treat high risk patients are phenomenal
1: oh that's uh that's really uh that's really unique. So as you, you've created this novel approach with this uh, CCF technique, could you speak to the clinical evidence uh, that the company's working to generate? You know, Do you have any data that compares CCF to tr- traditional cervical fusion in these high-risk patients? And then on top of the data, just talk to us a little bit after that on market access. What's the strategy for CCF? How do you plan to access the market and, and continue to drive commer- uh, your commercial success?
0: Absolutely. Well, so at Providence, clinical evidence is the core of our market access strategy. Our first prospective study was performed in 2009. And so on our website, providencemt.com, we have 17 peer-reviewed clinical papers. And so you can see the clinical efficacy, efficacy and safety and an economic value has been studied and published. However, what we've never done before, which we are currently enrolling, is our pivotal study that's a post-market study to really demonstrate that in the high-risk cervical patient, there is superior fusion results at one year in when you do a circumferential cervical fusion with our posterior c- cervical stabilization system. So the study is really exciting. We are enrolling over 300 patients at 16 sites in a prospective randomized controlled trial. Now keep in mind, we've done over 15,000 cases worldwide and we have a significant amount of evidence. So we feel very strongly that, that we understand how this implant performs. So it's with that level of conviction that we made this investment to do a prospective randomized controlled trial. And so what happens is a patient that needs three-level surgery, which is the highest risk category in stenosis. They come into these sites, they're randomized to either a three-level anterior fusion by itself, or the study group, which is our control, which is our posterior cervical stabilization system, is the circumferential. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna follow these patients for two years ultimately, but the primary endpoint is fusion success at one year. And so that study is enrolling quickly We'll have it finished by next year, by the end of next year. And so the results that we'll have for that study, they really pair nicely with our other key initiative now, which is Salesforce expansion. And so Providence has a direct sales force because, you know, in, in spine there's some really excellent implants that surgeons understand. And, and, and you can sell those types of products through a distributor network because surgeons know the technique and there's less training for what we're doing with the core spinal system, a direct sales force is is really important. And so we're up to now, we doubled our direct sales force this year from 10 to 20. But in July of this year, we closed on a financing. And so the use of proceeds is to really expand the direct sales force where we'll add 20 new direct reps a year for the next three years. And so, right as the clinical evidence is published, it's going to coincide with that really important second year of productivity for a new rep. And in addition to the FUSE randomized control trial, this year as part of a Q submission with FDA, we did a 160-patient retrospective review. And this this is really interesting to us and, and important. Not all patients will get a circumferential cervical fusion their first surgery. It's our mission that we could become the standard of care, but there's 80,000 patients. So the other application of our technology is when a high-risk patient only gets an anterior fusion, and as I mentioned earlier, then they go on to need a revision because their symptoms recur. And so we collected data on 159 patients. We, as part of a retrospective study, and now we're currently enrolling a prospective study where we are going to evaluate their fusion success at one year. And the outcome of this clinical effort is that we'll have a regulatory submission uh, towards the end of this year where we'll seek specific clearance with FDA for the revision of anterior fusion in high-risk patients. And so our, our goal is to improve outcomes and prevent failures. The way we do that, our, our main mission is let's let's get just the high risk patients a circumferential so they only have to have one surgery but in the event that they didn't get a circumferential and they go on to need a revision we have data for that as well and we believe our posterior system is is the right solution so that really leads to our overall market access strategy and we think about market access as clearly we have a great partnership with our regulatory body the FDA we also need to provide clinical evidence to the surgeons because they're scientists making decisions on what care they should offer their patients. And then our hospital partners, through clinical value analysis, they increasingly want to know that the implants that they choose are backed by clinical evidence. And so, and then finally, the payers that reimburse these surgeries. So within the spinal fusion space, the prevailing paradigm really for the last 30 years has been something called component coding. And so in the case of cervical fusion, the definitive operative procedures of anterior fusion and posterior fusion, they're well-established. They have level one CPT codes. And then for instrumentation or implants used to provide stabilization, there's also well-established codes there. So our overall goal is there's 80,000 patients that we believe need more in their service And so we want to use clinical evidence and the ability to train and educate the marketplace with specifically the surgeon, the patient, the clinical value analysis groups of our hospital partners, and ultimately the payer. And so that's how we think about market access, but the core of that strategy is we need to invest in scientific research.
1: Thanks, Jeff. That's um, super important. Uh, with the remaining minutes that we have, could you just speak high level to kind of market the market adoption success that you've seen so far, kind of the feedback from early adopters? You know, what, what's out there as an alternative uh, for these high risk patients? Is there any alternative technology on the market or on the horizon uh, to sort of that you would be competing against and just kind of wrap it all up for us for where you're going over the next two to three years in the in the two minutes we've got?
0: Sure. Well, I think there's there's always additional products. There's not another company that's doing a posterior cervical fusion and stabilization system. You know, we, we created this space and have, uh, you know, invested significantly in IP and really developing this market. However, there are biologics that can also improve outcomes. There's bone growth stimulators. So there are other partners in industry that are trying to help these patients as well, but the circumferential cervical fusion – you know, we're going to leave that space and do not have a competitor today. The adoption has been really exciting. Over 700 surgeons in the United States have tried our technology, and we have almost 400 what we call adopted surgeons. And it's evenly distributed throughout the country. And we've been able to do this and maintain this twenty really exciting growth rate for years um, with a relatively small sales force. And so the early adoption so far has been, really encouraging, and with the clinical evidence, the newest versions of all of our different implants and instruments, you know, combined with now the largest prospective randomized controlled trial in SPINE, we feel like the next few years are going to be really exciting, and we can do a lot of good for these patients.
1: Well, that's great, Jeff. Well, wanted to thank you uh, from the Morgan Stanley team for participating in our conference and for the great overview you've provided today on Providence Medical. That's uh, exciting technology, highly differentiated, and uh, look forward to kind of seeing the continued success in the market. So thank you. Great. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it.